Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease, and Richard Harris is going to be joining us here in a minute as well. Uh, I'm excited today to talk to Ryan O'Hara. Ryan is one of the first people that I can remember seeing videos of on LinkedIn back in the day. This is a few years ago now. And uh, he spends his time working hard for Lead IQ right now. How's it going, Ryan? Good, man. Thank you for uh, the, the plug on the video thing. That's like something I put a lot of work into. Makes me, makes me want to tear up a little bit. <laughs> there are people well, watching the video. There, If you're listening to just audio, there's tears. If you're watching the video, I want to tear up a little bit. Well, it's that's all. It's a thought that counts. So you're, <clears throat> it's a true story, man. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly how long ago it was. Maybe you can can speak to it. But I, I can remember about three years ago or so when I first kind of got real serious about LinkedIn. You were one of the first people that I was connected to that I started seeing videos of regularly right when did you get started with the video thing and 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 why did you gravitate towards that particular medium right away so a couple of years ago um i at lead iq we were a startup we didn't really like grow a lot for the first couple of years that i was here and i was doing a ton of stuff for lead gen like hustling to get webinar leads and like building assets but putting them behind forms and stuff and I kind of had a change of heart where I was like, you know what? I just want to get awareness up instead. And that's kind of lined up with when LinkedIn video was first out. Um, so like I kind of just said, screw it. I'm going to give people a bunch of stuff that I know and start giving that information out and do it over video. The reason I picked video is because uh, I don't know if you know this, but like I made videos when I was in, I used to make movies all the time when I was in high school. I didn't like, know that. So you, I, you have a, you're trained for the camera. You have an unfair advantage. I, I wanted to get into filmmaking. I was too much of a wuss to do it, like as a as a kid. So I was like, oh, I'll just do business and figure out a way to like throw that stuff into my life. And I think that's an important thing for people that are in business to do, like put things that you're into. I was that kid in high school that like I got into skateboarding and then I bought a camera and I didn't get better, but my friends did. So I just filmed them and then I'd go cut videos of them skating and stuff. Oh, you mean and you then got I got better at skateboarding, but you got better at filming. Yeah, I, got, I learned how to do a little bit better. Uh, the nice part is I think today it, things are way easier to do. Uh, back then you'd go cut a video with software and how, your computer would crap the bed in the middle of yeah, editing. Or say, how long did it take you to, to get a video like ready for production? Yeah, uh, like, like, yeah so like if you, if you film something for like three minutes, for example, I'd have to render it on my computer and I'd walk away and like come back the next morning to work on it. It would take oh that God. long to do stuff. It was crazy. Wow. Yeah, I was, that's a lot of dedication that you had back then to producing all the, the videos. Well, I wanted, I wanted to do something I, for me. Like, I like making people laugh. I like making people entertained, and I, like, but I, video is an easy way to do it. Um, I unfortunately kind of lost focus of it for a long time, and then mm. a couple of years ago, I, I just got re passionate about it. Like, I got back into it a little bit. So, so talk, you mentioned you mentioned humor, you know, and I. I, I figure, feel like I know that about you, even from some of the fancy uh, fashion styles that you uh, that you put out there on uh, on, on LinkedIn in the video. Sometimes, sometimes embarrassing, but you know, like I've done LinkedIn videos wearing a helmet. I've like worn like, yeah. crazy jackets, like all that stuff. Yeah. So how do how do you, beyond the videos? How are you incorporating humor and you know uh, parts of your own personality like that? That you know maybe people don't associate as much with with selling and and marketing all right so 
it's I, it's funny because you've teed this up, and I don't know how well you plan to tee this up because we didn't even talk about this, but it's the perfect segue for this. I do this I, when I was at Meet IQ and I joined. I, this is the first time that I've been able to go to a company that didn't really have a brand yet and build it from the ground up. So this is your you're the VP of Growth and, and Marketing at Lead IQ, right? Yes. Yep. So, so, so this is your first time building something from scratch. Yeah, everything else I've been at, there's been someone already that has set something up or I've yeah. had to change something that was I'm there the, I'm, the, I'm the opposite of you. Everything that I've done has been building from scratch. So you're, well, I, know, I know the shoes that you're in right now. Yeah, I, I love it though because it, it gave me a blank canvas to kind of paint on a little bit. And for me, what I wanted to do is I wanted to do this old thing that they, that like at even these in the 60s called brand architecture. You ever seen any of this stuff or read about it? I have not. All right, so this is pretty cool. Um, this Carl Jung said that like humans like to categorize people. It's one of the things that we do. That's it, it's unfortunate, but it's one of the things that we do. Like when you're we in like high apply, school, we like to apply labels. Yeah, it, it's unfortunate that we do it, but like in in high school, for example, you might have said someone was like a jock, or someone was a nerd, or someone was a X Y Z, whatever yeah. the groups are. Um, we like doing that because the brain likes to recognize patterns. And the problem is if you do something that breaks a pattern, uh, it actually upsets people. It's like, why? it's one of the reasons, think about it. When you're in relationships with people, let's say you're like, I'm with my wife or something and she does something that's unpredictable. Usually it actually like will upset me or someone else. The idea in the 60s is all these agencies started hiring these psychologists and basically tried to figure out how to hack people's minds to like friends. And what you got was like the rise of Harley Davidson, which is a good example. They basically said, I know every person in the world wants to feel like a badass sometimes. So we're going to make our stuff about being a rebel brand. We're going to attract rebels. We're going to show people what ads with tattoos. We're going to talk about breaking yeah. the law. We're going to make like, what they did is they basically, Carl Jung divided up and came up with this idea where there's 12 different types of archetypes that you can be. Um, there's the jester. I'm not going to remember them all. But let's see if I can. The jester, which is like about entertaining people. There's the innocent brand, which is like all about being simple. There's the uh, outlaw, which is all about breaking the law. Hero brand, they're all about like wanting the ball in their hand and winning at the end of the game. I just kind of think for all of them, but it's fine. There's a bunch of them. Explorer brand, you're trying experiments. Sorry, the idea though is, yes, I'm the gesture. So like my job as a brand and as a person is to try and entertain people as much as I can with I'm trying to educate you too, but like, if I were like a bigger company, like there's other data companies, for example, in our space that are sage brands. They come in and they're like, we're gonna act like the smartest person in the room. We're gonna tell you data and insights that we have, but they don't do it in a way, they do it like in a way where like, we know our, our, our shit. I go into a room and say, I know my shit, but I'm gonna, t I'm gonna make it fun and entertaining to learn about. Like I'm trying to be like Bill Nye the science guy. Mm -hmm. So that's kind, of, that's kind of the way I look at it. For people that are listening to this, if you're trying to build your brand as a human being, you should pick one of these brand archetypes and commit to one. Look for people that are in your space, find one that you feel comfortable doing. There's no wrong answer. All 12 of them are, appeal to all of us. We all feel these things at different times, but you pick one and if you commit to one, you're more likely to have a bigger following. It's one of the reasons I think things worked on LinkedIn for me. Like, not to brag, like I have a pretty good slew of, I know when I put a video out there on LinkedIn, I know it's gonna be watched. I know I'm gonna get engagements and tons of comments. It's because I make everything kind of fit into this gesture archetype. If I go put something up there and it's super serious and it's a bummer or something. And it like, I can do serious stuff still. I have, but like if I don't throw in a couple of jokes or get back into the same persona, it actually puts people into a spot where they're seeing. 
that's interesting. What don't you think the only wrong answer there would be to to try to be an archetype that you're not? Yeah, exactly. Well, here's the thing: we're actually the archetypes. The way they're they're designed is they're the twelve archetypes that he made are based on psychology of things that we all are. But the idea is that you exaggerate some of those characteristics as a brand, and that's how you hack it. So we all so like well, we all have a piece of those archetypes. Yeah, like. We all, like you and I probably both have, and I, like we probably both like breaking the law a little bit, right? Like there's some cool ideas about like, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than permission. Dude, okay. you're doing like, you guys do like a disruptive surf and sales event where like a bunch yeah, of people I'm, get together. I'm wearing an I love weed California hat, right? Now. Dude, th yeah, that's what, I, that's what I mean. Like there's a there's a certain way to handle it. Uh, yeah. There's some like Rocky Balboa is an everyman. If you go through the fictional characters and real characters, the ones that we remember fit into one of those archetypes and they exaggerate it a little bit more. And, and that's what makes it, I'm not, a, I'm not lying to you on LinkedIn. Like if you watch a video of me, that's, that's actually how I am. Yeah. But I, I could, I could change the way that I cut it and the way that I talk and the way that I deliver the information to you in a way so that like, it's an explorer brand. Like if I were doing a video about like, uh, let's say I was doing a video on getting better open rates on your emails. I just did one last week on how to get better open rates. Um, I, I might talk about experiments that I tried to learn this instead. But instead of doing that, I made fun of like all the bad email subjects that I get and what you can do to make them better. Mm -hmm. Like that's how you change the way it becomes your compass for how you deliver information to get, build your audience for not just prospecting and marketing, but also for sale, like closing too. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, sorry to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no, it, 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 it's fine. I mean, you talked about how you built uh, you know, following, you know, you can put out content that's going to be received. At, at what point in your career did you really feel comfortable doing that? And, and is that changing now? Everybody is talking about, you know, you need to build your brand online. You know, you need, you need to speak up, you need to grow your network, all this stuff. There's so many people who have, you know, like one year sales experience and they're out there, yeah. you know, giving tons of advice and, and whatnot. How do you, how do you feel about that? Uh, so I don't want to be, I, I try not to be cynical. I think one of the things that, uh, if you're a rep, regardless of your experience, there are three things you can offer everybody. You've got your network. So you have a network of people. You have conversations that you have every day with people that are in the same space. Uh, not your space, meaning your customer space or space. Um, and you have their stories. Those three things can be shared and talked about online. So I'm okay with a rep going online and talking about like, I had a call with a customer the other day about how they were trying to make a redundant network so that their internet wouldn't go down or something. Like I'm making that up as an example if you're like yeah. an IT rep or something. You're actually okay to talk about that as long as you anonymize the person you're talking about it from and sharing the insight that you learned from the call that you might have had. Now, I think the evolution has changed a lot more though where like when I first became an – so I graduated. I got my first BDR role in uh, the late 2000s, so like 2008, 2009. Um, the landscape's changed a lot more because back then you could cold email and you'd have higher response rates. You could cold call someone, you'd have a higher connect rate. This past year, I was looking at stats, cold call, cold call rate, connect rates, and uh, cold email rates uh, had a record low for lowest response rates ever. And it's because we've trained prospects to ignore our emails and ignore our cold calls. Yeah. It's it, really it sad. Seems like it's just going to go down too as well. What, I think we, we could stop it. I think there's a way to actually stop it. And it, yeah. It, yeah, and I think the way that you stop it is if we can get people to make your first impression count a lot more, 
it can have a huge impact on your business. And that's as long as you're, of, so maybe your first impression just shouldn't be email. Right. Or it could be the thing, what we need to do is get reps to stop and think like, I want to get this prospect and I want to make it like I'm making yeah. a Super Bowl ad, but for one company. Yeah. But you know, I got, I got prospected twice so far this morning that that worked. The first one was a voice message via LinkedIn. Oh, cool. Tell me more what they say. Well, what they said is not really neither here nor there. I think the interesting thing to me was if somebody calls me on my phone and leaves a voicemail, I, I never listen to it. Even my, even my, even my friends, even my my mom, my friends back and they'll be like, did you hear my message? Like, no, listen to the message at all. I don't, you know, what's going on. But I, I do listen to, the voice messages over LinkedIn. You know, I, I check my uh, inbox on LinkedIn regularly. I have to manage. I mean, we were talking about the how much email you get. I, I get that much email over LinkedIn, but I try. I try really hard to you know stay up with it. Um, but when when the voice message hits, I inevitably listen to it. And so that that worked once this morning. And the other person. I actually don't even know how they got my number to be honest with you, but they just sent me a text message and just said, Hey, I want to talk to you about this, that, and the other. And it's not like a sales pitch. It's like, I need a little bit of advice thinking about this particular problem. Right. And -and so-and-so said you'd be good to talk to So they probably got number from them, I guess, as I'm talking out loud, but yeah, direct text message and voice message over LinkedIn had, had good hit rates for me today. Do so do those work for you? Uh, so I haven't actually done a lot of LinkedIn voice message, but I will tell you something that we have to do as a rep. If you're listening to this, if you're a leader, whatever your role is here, we cannot ruin it. It's it's like, I'll give you an example. Do you remember a couple of years ago when video prospecting was blowing up? Yeah. Like everybody was sending videos over prospecting and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Um, Vidyard was uh, big and those kind of companies. Yeah, like Wistia, Vidyard, you go down the list of all these companies that were doing it, you could send, uh, Videolicious, another one, you could send videos to prospects. The problem is, we have this problem of doing what we're familiar with in the same channel that we're using. So for example, the evolution of sales, I was actually doing some research on this over the weekend, because I'm, I'm really nerdy. The original, the first ever uh, uh, cold calling job was posted in 1938. It was a full-time cold calling job. 1938, the first cold calling job was, which so what, is crazy. And so what, what, who was the ad for? It was, um, it was a advertisement that was in the Chicago Tribune, and it was for people to sell advertisements for the Chicago Tribune in the newspaper. And they, were, they wanted to – the reason is back then in the 30s, the only people that had phone numbers were rich people. So, yeah. like, you could go call the people and be like, hey, you yeah. probably own a business. You are – your list was highly targeted already just because they had a phone number. Yeah, but the problem is back then when you called someone, you used a script and uh, you'd have a script that you do over and over and over again. They did The thing is they did it. They basically took what people were doing in door-to-door sales before that, which was using a script. You knock on a door, you don't know any information about the prospect that you're calling. And when cold email came out, what did we do? We just started using the phone scripts that we had and started emailing those to people. And then LinkedIn came out in the early 2000s. And what did people do? Reps joined and started messaging and blasting out prospects on LinkedIn with the same messages and scripts that they were sending on cold emails, which were sent from phones, which were sent from door to door. And all this stuff goes back to the 30s and we're doing this. 
when video came out, you know what disappoints me? I'll get Vidyard pitches from people over email and they're just re they're saying what they would have said in a cold email. Yeah. And that's not what you should be doing. You could these channels could all be different and independent and be used differently with delivering different information. So give, that's give, the way it, give give the folks a, your your version of a video pitch that, that would work. That okay. Is, that, is, that is good. Yep. We talked about what, what stinks. Oh, this is this is tough. Yeah, this is so here's the thing. Of a good one. Like, well, let's say you were going to pitch me, you know, on, on, on something, right? What's okay. A, what's a good I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give you a good example. If you're going to do a video pitch, uh, I, I actually have, I did like a thing I put online about this where I, I went through videos that I sent to prospects and what I do. You want to show personality off in your video. So you want to show something interesting in the video. It's just like YouTube or Instagram or any videos that you watch. I'll give you an example yeah, of what I did about you something interesting about you right yeah about yeah your company or your product about you yeah so like i'll give you an example i had a prospect if i were let's say i was prospecting you right now i don't have this with me right now but i have a baby i have a young puppy corgi ruby who i have she's 13 weeks old she's super cute um if i'm at home and i'm recording a video for a prospect i might grab the camera and be like i might be like hey scott uh been wanting to talk to you about some ways you guys might be doing some prospecting I am at home right now with my adorable puppy. One second, let's have a cry. And then I'll turn the camera over with my yeah. webcam. No, no, one, puppy. No, no one's resisting a 13-month-old Corey. Yeah, and then, I, and, then, and then I tilt it back, and I'm like, I saw you had a dog on, on your LinkedIn that you posted about a couple weeks ago, and I, I think we might be able to help you because you're hiring SDRs. Can we get a couple seconds to talk? What are your thoughts? Like, it's basically a person-to-person -person connection that's way different that's, that's showing that I'm a personality. Instead of having an email where I just write a bunch of text and don't have the personality in it. It's, and that's how you should be doing video. And for people that are saying like, oh, crap, I can't do that for an executive if I'm going after a Fortune 500 company. It's not true. These same people yeah. go home and they have dogs and they yeah. eat Ben and Jerry's ice cream. It's, watch probably, the Simpsons. it's probably the opposite, to be honest with you. you know, yeah. I'm not an executive for a Fortune 500 company, but I've, I've been an executive for a long time. And it's, it's those kind of create creative things that uh, get my get my attention you know? so with so you were talking about LinkedIn voice message this morning and getting yeah. one don't don't just do what you would do over a voicemail now instead on the LinkedIn I mean you can follow a format but like I think the most important thing is lead with what's cool about the prospect you're not leaving a voicemail or a voice message to a prospect saying hey my products good because it can give you value in XYZ what you're doing is you're proving to Scott when you leave a voicemail for him or me that I'm special to you that I matter to you and that I'm, that I mean a lot to you personally. And there's enough information online for all these executives that are decision makers where you can bring those things up, look for things in their profile, look at social activity they've might've done recently. See if there's uh, here's the other thing that shifted from 2008 when I first got into the space to now people are way less uh, company first and way more individualistic. And it's oh, because we change jobs way more. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, I, I think everybody realizes now also like that LinkedIn profile is mine. It's not, it's not the real estate of XYZ company that I work for, you know? Yeah, it's evolved a ton. And the other thing is a lot of the people that listen to this, you might be selling to marketers, for example. Mar marketers are not like, all right, go to sales and marketing, especially in, let's say we're talking tech. The average person's changing jobs once every 18 months. So that means the first six months, they're shy, they're figuring stuff out. The next six months, they're like really a change agent. The last six months, they're looking down at their their screen, waiting for five p.m. to hit to get out of work and look for another job. That's how you have to act. Yeah, you you mentioned you mentioned uh, you know people are changing jobs 
every year and a half or so. Um, but here's an interesting question for you. We, you know, we all know that the lifespan of a VP of sales is 15 to 18 months and, and diminishing. It's a brutal, brutal gig. Um, and yet you have been VP of growth and marketing at Lead IQ for four years now, right? Oh yeah, way more gray hairs than I when I started. Yeah. So you, so you, you know, you've you've more than than doubled the average uh, the average tenure, right? My my my, I tend to stay at places about three years, two and a half to three years. I go from zero to sixty, so to speak, and then you know, move on and and do it again. Um, what do you think it is that that has helped you? You know, have have such a good a good long you know, steady, steady run and, and not, and not fall prey to what's happened to so many other sales leaders out there. Some of whom are probably listening to the show right now. So I think one thing uh, that's important, I do want to clarify too. I've actually like the sales role is no longer something I'm helping with as much. I'm mainly doing stuff on the market, but I did, no, I did. I did my first two years here. I prospected a ton and built up pipeline for our team and stuff. Um, I think the big thing that I look at, and it sounds kind of cliche, it's really the why. Like, why are we here? What are we doing here? What am I doing? For me personally, I'm, I've learned a ton here over the past several years. And it, it's, I, if you're at a job where you're not learning, you need to change jobs. I think that's a big part of it. If I feel like I'm on repeat doing the same thing over and over again, uh, I would totally bail and go do something else. But like, I'm now learning, I'm now learning like, holy crap, we have a ton of people. We have like 60 people here now. I have to figure out like, how are we going to, we grew X amount of million last year. How do I, how do I, that growth number needs to continue to go up. How do I figure that stuff out? And what's kind of cool for me, I think if you're a VP of sales, you need to continue to change what you're doing because you get bored doing in year two and year three and year four. If you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you're going to get the same results, which is fine, but you need more results as you keep growing. I think it's okay for a VP of sales to do a strategy shift or change what they want to do on the way that pitchers are doing. For example, one thing I'm working on right now, I'm redoing the lead IQ pitch, like completely with, from the ground up. We're, we're nuking everything we've ever done and retrying it again, just to see if we can do it. And I, we think it'll give us better results and better, better uh, close rates and stuff, but our close rates are pretty good right now. We're just going to try it and see if it's better. And it, it, it allows me to stay interested and engaged in what we're doing. Did, was, your, was your pitch, it was probably a living, breathing document, though, for the last few years, right? It's not like, oh, you, yeah. it's not like you wrote it four years ago and, you know, still uh, it that way today, right? So the, the best the best way to, like, redo your pitch and figure it out is actually we like to organize it like doing a PowerPoint because it's easy for us to go into every department and explain it to everyone. I think our pitch from I, – I was looking at our at drive and I'm, look, like, looking for the, the doc where I'm working on it right now. And the title of the pitch from 2018 was Why Lead IQ 2018. I have one for 2019, 2020. I'm now working on 2020. And it's just funny, they're completely different pitches. A couple of years ago, when Lead IQ first came into the space, I thought people were going to buy Lead IQ because we're a data, like we have data on prospects. And that's not why people buy Lead IQ. I thought, it, I, I thought that's what it was. And then I did prospecting, heard a bunch of objections, and realized everybody has data. No one cares about data. Like, there's other things that people care about. So I had to rechange our, our pitch in 2018 around that. 2019, uh, we evolved it more into not just like we're helping you with, with these couple benefits. It changed into this is the institutional change the entire team's going to have. 
now what I'm trying to do as we grow is zoom out and say, this is the institutional change we're going to have for your entire business, not just your sales team. How much, how much ownership do you have? Did you have over the, the changing of the pitch and the evolution of the pitch? Is that, that's something where you lock yourself in the room and, and you uh, tweak it or is this input from lots of different people? From multiple so, departments? yeah. Yeah, so the, the way it started uh, this year, at least, is we do a weekly manager meeting. So every manager in our company, we do a meeting on Monday nights, and we all get together, we hang out on a Zoom, and we say, what do we want to talk about today? Um, we were setting up our goals for the first, our first quarter this year, and uh, in the meeting, we're like, hey, we want to do a pitch. We want to redo our pitch. Let's think about a way to evolve it more. And I wanted to do it. I was like, let me do it, because I've done the other ones, and I know what we've tried already, what's worked and what hasn't. Literally, I was smiling because you did this Thursday and Friday. I literally locked myself in a room. I worked from home, and I I like blocked my calendar completely to work on it. Um, the next phase of this will be I'm gonna go do the pitch now to everyone in the manager meeting tonight. And when I do the pitch tonight in the meeting, it's collaborative. So like, no one's gonna crap on it. It's it's more of like this is my brainstormed idea of how we're gonna pitch it. Everyone go add your insight. What do you what do you think we should do? I'll go back to the drawing board and try it again. The second draft, here's what you do to keep it interesting if you're going to be redoing your pitch this year. I'm not going to present the second pitch. When we do our second draft, I'm going to go try and have an AE upstairs do it. So, like, I'll go upstairs and train one AE to do that pitch, and they'll go do it in our manager meeting for the second pitch. The reason is because if I'm doing it again and you see the evolution of what I did before, you're going to have recency bias. But if I get someone else to come in and go do the pitch instead, it shows, oh, this is what it's going to be like and how we teach it to the rep. And then third, this is the, the new idea we're going to do this year. The third iteration of the pitch, we're going to have a customer success person do it. Because our problem here right now is like everybody's pitching differently, like in each department, and we should be more united. I don't know if I'm like, I'm disclosing problems, but it's something we're trying to fix. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we, can, we can talk later about how to fix that. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's, I think everybody's, I think the hard part is like, you need a lighthouse that can get you to land. And that's, that's kind of like what we need to do to help people. And if we, if we don't have the lighthouse there, it's going to be harder to communicate. Last year, our, we went from having two AEs to eight. So yeah. like that scaled process now needs to be addressed to help the new people that have come in to understand how to pitch it like the old people were yeah. and evolve the old people to pitch even better. Yeah. You gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta take input from the people who did really well last year. Right. And, and your top people as well as the right. Kind I, of that's what I did on Thursday. I just literally listened. I listened to their pitches. Yeah. I just listened to the recordings of their, yeah. their pitches. It was like, that's it's, good. That's good. <laughs> and then that, and then that becomes the gold standard and people, you know, just can't really deviate from that too much. You, you've got to, you've got to really manage to that. Otherwise it's going to go squirrely on you. So, yeah. You know, you, you said, you said before that, you know, you were kind of nerdy and you were researching sales stuff. Like when did you, when did you know you were going to be in sales and marketing? Was this something that you knew, you know, from an early age? Were you one of those people that was like selling lemonade on the street corner and all this kind of stuff? Uh, or did it all come later in your life? So uh, my story is when I was in high school, I got a job working at a furniture store. And the furniture store I was working at was called Cabin House during the Boston area. Um, I basically got, did four moves. So like what they do at furniture stores to make the inventory look fresh is they move all the furniture around every week. Like you'll go in for... Uh, Christmas Eve sale and you'll see one furniture set in the front and then a week later they'll move that set to the back and move a different one there and it makes it look like you're constantly moving inventory at the furniture place. 
so I did that job. Uh, it was very, I actually made a lot of money doing it, which is nice for like a kid in high school. But I did that when I got first got my license and I'd drive down with a buddy and we'd go do the four moves and stuff. Eventually, um, they started doing warehouse sales. So like they'd have, uh, they have a warehouse where they keep furniture and they'd go open up the warehouse. And I got tasked with setting it up and selling all the furniture there. And that's you how I first you're, got. You're, you had real sales jobs in high school. Then. Yeah. So like I got, I basically would go up and I'd talk to people that were coming in like, what are you looking for? What can I help you with? Yeah. And I'd, learn, I'd listen to what they did. And the cool part is, I, this is one of the things I think that helps me. I didn't know crap about furniture. Like I didn't, I just knew like what looked good and what didn't look good. And like, I wasn't focused on the product, which I think helped me a lot with it. And yeah. I, I'm a, I, I, I'm a huge proponent of that. I get asked all the time, people who are looking to, um, looking to make sales hires and, and they're, they're looking for like industry experience or product experience and knowledge. And I'm like, you don't, don't worry about that. It, that, that could screw things up sometimes. You know, I think, I think it's good for reps to have product insight. Like that's something that I think is a good thing to have. Before but it, or after they come on board. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like you offer the insight. You, it's okay to go in and tell people like what you're seeing in the industry and what's going on there. But I think it's a, a difficult thing if you lean too much on like, I mean, how many software demos have you been on where they just screen share and show you the product? No, the, that, that's, that's horrible. What, what I'm talking about though is, is like, I would rather hire somebody that I think is, has, has got the right kind of sales DNA has, has some sales experience and is going to represent, you know, my product and my, my company well, even if they have no experience in that particular industry. And I, I talk to the founders all the time who are like, hey, I'm in the, you know, we're in the finance space. I'm looking for software sellers who have finance specific experience. I'm like, well, that, those are, there's a lot less of those kind of people, right? So when, when you're hiring, are you like, only looking for people that have some experience in, in your space? It, oh, seemed, I mean, it seemed like you said that that was a benefit, that you didn't know shit about furniture, and you went to go sell it. I'm actually thinking about, like, I'll give you a good example. Uh, Jeremy Levier, who's on our team, has yeah. been a rock star. He was a rock star SDR for us, and then he moved. He's now in an AE role here. Uh, Jeremy. He, he's another video guy. He's, he, he's the guy, if you don't know him, who every video has a different NBA basketball jersey on. I, oh yeah, and it, it stinks. We literally have winter jackets laying all over the place here because we're in New Hampshire, and no one has space in the closet because his jerseys are there. <laughs> um, but but he uh, Jeremy came from he literally worked at Navisite, which was selling disaster recovery solutions for IT people. Has nothing to do with sales, sales tech, any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I we have another person on our team that worked and sold uh, managed DNS, which is like backend infrastructure stuff. Uh, I think the thing is, it's more important for you to have the right mindset of like, yeah. I'm going to go work hard. I'm going to control my own pipeline and I'm going to help people. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 totally, I totally agree with that. So what about the way that your selling uh, career has evolved and changed? So, you know, selling furniture in retail, very different than selling lead IQ software data, right? over the phone they're very different marketing it has how, how has that how has that evolved for you personally the way you sell yeah uh so when i graduated school i wanted to get i wanted to work in marketing and i got a i looked for jobs for many months and stuff and i eventually got hired by this company dine and they they sell 
backend infrastructure stuff for companies. And I was their first PDR. There was, there were like 15 people working there at the time. I, it was like a huge crash course on like digital selling. I was a guy on my laptop writing emails all day and doing cold calls and talking to really cool, interesting startups and really cool people. And it like, it was such a boring product to sell but I had so much fun doing it because like, I didn't care about the product. I cared about the customer base I was going after. And I think that that helped me a lot with realizing that when you're doing sales over time, you need to be passionate about the people you're going after. Uh, I think that helped me a lot. Like we, I was prospecting into like the NFL. We did a cold call with them and got them. And I remember on the, the actual discovery call with them, because back then the SDRs and BDRs would like hang on the discovery call too. The guy referred to the NFL as the league. And I just thought it was so badass. Like when he was well, saying that, I was like, he's like, well, when we work for the league and I was with the AE on it and he just elbowed me in the chest. It was like the league. Like he thought it was so cool <laughs> that there's calling it that. Um, but like I, I, I learned a lot about making like a good digital first impression. Like how do I, I'm on, I don't, I'm not in front of them. I'm not face to face. How do I make an impression and show that I'm interesting, they're interesting and they're important to me. How do I show those three things off? And I, I, I kind of looked at it like I used cold email for it. If I did cold calling, a lot of my cold calling was about the thing I did over email. So like if I sent, if I sent someone, uh, let's say I, we used to like make really crappy Photoshop things and send them to people and stuff. I had one prospect that, um, that uh, Mark Zuckerberg was one of their company's investors. And the guy, I wrote, a, I wrote an email about it and he wrote back sarcastically, yeah, me and Zuck are best friends. And I photoshopped a picture of me and Mark Zuckerberg, like hanging out. And I, and I wrote best friends forever, like in the text. I wrote, I, wrote, I am too. Let's, we should be friends too. Like making a joke with them. The guy calls me up on the phone after and we got, got the meeting. Like just finding ways to show personality off in the digital structure is something that I think evolved and changed for me. Uh, and then what's sort of happened a little bit more as I've gone through, through Dine to Lead IQ in that transition I, I realize that it's actually a lot more scalable now because there's more information online about people than there was in 2008, 2009. And there's more information about people than there was in 2000, 2005. Like you keep zooming up every year and the more years you're around, the more you can find quick research points of someone to bring up in a cold email or a cold call. Yeah. Do you, uh, how much event marketing are you guys doing? We just kind of, we, yeah. So we actually just kind of started doing it. Uh, last year we did a couple conferences, but, most uh this year for the first time ever we actually i spent last year i hired someone out of school and groomed them on project management here doing projects for us she's actually taking over events for this upcoming year um and i've groomed her for evaluating events going through a process and handling our budget um we're starting to do them a lot more this year last year we did a lot of conferences but this year we're going to be doing a lot more of our own events right so so what is your what is your conference kind of strategy at this point you know, I, I, I've been asking this question a lot of people because, first of all, there are so many. Um, you know, in, in my industry, for example, in the settlement software, title insurance industry that I that I was in for the last three years, I, I don't want to say unequivocally, but there is something like one event, like more than one event per days in the year. It was like 400 events in 365 days. It's like absurd. How many yeah. you could try to go to so what is your strategy for evaluating each conference that you go to and making it worthwhile and trying to turn an roi on them? so 
I don't want to go too much into like, I, I don't want to go too much into like talking about lead IQ too much because I want to give value to people. But for so us, imagine you're not there. Imagine you started your own company tomorrow and you and you're selling. I'll, I'll 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 tell you a big problem that we have at Lead IQ is we have Lead IQ becomes more useful the more things you use that integrate with us. So like we have to think about like, is that audience there? Is that person that uses Salesforce there? And that's the so thing we think about looking, a lot. So you're looking, what is my ideal customer profile there? That's got to yeah. be number one, right? Yeah. So like if someone, if we, if we're evaluating any event, we're almost always asking like, do you have any insight into what technology they use? What, what applications they're using? What, what size team are they working on? The other thing is we like to do events that we can kind of disrupt a little bit more and seem cooler and different. Like, if I'm going to an event where like, I'm not crapping on them. I love this event as a person to attend, but like, I'm not going to go sponsor Saster, for example, because Saster is full of thousands of really cool startups that are sponsoring. Yeah. It's really hard to make headway and seem different there, but I might go sponsor the, what'd you say? <laughs> yeah. Surf and sales. Surf and sales is a perfect example of this. You guys are actually giving people an experience, which is very cool. Um, so that's something that we evaluate too when we're looking at events and stuff. I think um Is there ever is there ever a time is there ever a time to spend and not expect the ROI? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean I've had events before where I I think we didn't get a lot of ROI from the events we went to last year, to be honest with you. And I think part of that is because we didn't have the right structure in place here and process to get people to continue working on those things when they came in. So like we didn't have for example uh, I get a lead list from someone and I give it to the SDR team. The problem is in the sales engagement space that we're in today, mm. you, if you're using task or something like that, you're behind on task from being at the event for the week. So yeah. like now you're behind on that. And by the time you get to the leads at the event and you're caught up on the follow-up that you're doing the week before the event, uh, it's been too long and they've lost interest or they're, they're busy as well. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know about you, Scott, but is, is your inbox must be killed after you go away for a conference for a couple of days, right? Oh, <laughs> terrible, well, right? Yeah. The, an the answer is yes. Um, it's one of the reasons, honestly, I stopped going to conferences unless I was actively participating, meaning, you know, giving a, a doing a panel or a presentation or something like that. Um, it just kind of became no longer worth my time personally, but you know, I, I've been leading teams of a hundred plus. So, really difficult but yeah if i you know even if I, even when i go to surfing sales in a couple of weeks um my inbox over email over text voicemail linkedin i mean it, it'll be destroyed it'll take me a while to uh to, to catch up and i'll try to do a little bit to you know sort of stay on top of it even when i'm away but yeah it gets it gets hammered man i think i think one thing we're shifting toward here we've gave a lot more budget this year for putting on our own events and the events we put on are not like, I'm going to go get 300 people and have a speaker. And that's what, what it's going to be. It's more of like, I'm going to handpick 30 yeah. really good accounts. I'm going to come with a really cool experience for them, like surf and sales. <laughs> um, and, and I'm going to go and rope them into going to do this thing because I'm giving them something they normally couldn't do on their own. And yeah. I'm going to let them do it during business business hours so that they can escape from work for a little bit. People forget yeah. that. Like, oh, I'm, totally. Like, yeah. You're, try, you're trying to get me to come to events, you know, from five to 10 o'clock at night. It's not going to happen really. You know, I can do that like once or twice a year. My kids have practices or games every literally seven days a week. 
You know, right. I, I spent all day yesterday at a basketball tournament about half hour away from my my house and, you know, didn't really get back to anybody until late at night. So it's really hard to do that during the week. Yeah, so the big thing is trying to create opportunities for something. I remember uh, when I was at Dine, I moved eventually into the field marketing team there. And my job was to come up with like little, little events that we could do where basically – listen, we're going to pitch you at the beginning of this, but the reward at the end of it's going to be kind of cool. Like you can do something that you wouldn't normally get to do. I remember one of the things that we did, uh, this is dating me a little bit, but like I remember we got a movie theater and uh, we got uh, we got the Avengers to screen like a week before it came out and we're going after all these CTOs and IT people. Yeah. And like all these guys wanted to go see the movie early, obviously, and then wait for a premiere. And it was really cool. Like we had to pay a lot of money to get the movie early, but like but every person experience, they'll remember that for a long time. And yeah. And all those people that went no longer need to do a discovery call. Cause they got a discovery call right there. We did like an open forum thing with like one of our customer success people where like you could ask them questions about it and interrupt them as they're going. And it, it was, it was way cooler. Another one that I love this one, like I'm not making this up. This was like a crazy talk. Um, do you know who Gene Kranz is? Not off the top of my head, no. So Gene Kranz was the guy that ran mission control during the Apollo missions. And he's just, now he's like a he's, – he might even be dead now. I haven't kept tabs on him. But, like, he was a really old guy at the time. Like, he had been around – He was I think he was in his 70s or 80s. Hopefully he's still alive and stuff. But um, in the Apollo 13, for example, Ed Harris plays him in the movie. But this guy basically talked about, like, when the astronauts went missing in, on Apollo 13 and they're having problems – he talked about how the whole world was just watching TV glued to their television set. And this one team was responsible for, for trying to get them home. Everyone was expecting the astronauts to just disappear in space and die. And they like, everyone's watching these guys miraculously figure out how to scramble to get these astronauts home because everyone like failure wasn't an option. And he did this talk uh, in front of a, but we, I, I heard that he was a good speaker. So I, I booked him to do a thing with us at like someplace in Harvard. And he came and sat and talked and I'm not making this up. The way he did his talk, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Like people were crying. Like I was, I was like, holy crap. Like this blows my mind. It was totally worth the speaking fee to have him do it. But all these people knew who he was in the tech space. Cause like they grew up idolizing astronauts and NASA and all this. Yeah. So like, it's a unique experience where like they wouldn't normally get a chance to get the talk and hang out with Gene Krantz, but they got to. That's cool. Well, we're uh, coming up close to the, the end of our, our time here. One of the things that we like to do is, is kind of see if we can be helpful to, uh, to our guests. You know, you, you were gracious enough to take the time to come and, come and chat with me for a little while today. Um, what can I do? And even though Richard is not here today, what, what can Richard or I do to, uh, to help you and, and your team? Any, any advice that you're looking for or anything come to mind? Huh. That's a good question. I've got, I've got a, a, something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I've been thinking a lot about different ways that you can seem different. I said different too much, but how to differentiate a little bit more from your competitors. And I've been, one of the things that I've been telling people that has kind of worked a little bit here, but you can't scale it is the rep yourself can be the differentiator, like being yeah. different, having a cool personality, being like, I like this person a lot more. Therefore I'm going to yeah. go with their product. Um, do you guys have any other advice? Like, what are some other things that you can do to differentiate with competitors? To differentiate from competitors? You know, yeah. I, yeah, I, well, I definitely think that the rep can be the differentiator. I think the whole 
culture and um, the whole the whole the whole team mindset can be a differentiator. So, for example, when, when I went to Qualia, um, I started teaching all of my sales team and some of the customer success team got into it as well. Just like my playbook of how I grew on LinkedIn, and 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 so you can differentiate yourself and your company because the perception of your org is holy shit. There's 50, 60 people at Lead IQ who are all like really smart, post valuable content all day long, killer insights, super responsive, right? Meanwhile, competitor XYZ is totally dark. Like you don't really hear anything from them, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think you could, you can do it. Um, you can scale out kind of the influencer, if you will across the whole entire organization, right? So, you know, I, you guys might do this and maybe I'm, I just don't know, but like you could teach everybody at Lead, Lead IQ how you started doing all these videos and then start right. having them all do it, right? Luke, yeah. Jer Luke Jeremy in as well, because I know he does a ton of those, right? But you're the only two people I can think of off the top of my head that I know at Lead IQ who have interesting content regularly, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that have a brand. Like I, I, you know, I literally said earlier, Jeremy's the NBA basketball jersey guy, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that that that's his brand, right? So how come everybody is not looped in to that same bucket? Why can't I say, well, the difference between Lead IQ and their competitors is I literally know every single person, or that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah, like I know every single person at Lead IQ, and here's why. Right? I love that. That's a great point. I'm going to steal that snippet when this goes live and show the team. <laughs> good, good. Beautiful. Well, thanks. Thanks for your time, Ryan. It's, uh, it's always good to chat with you. Really hope that, uh, one of these times we can get you out to turf and tails schedules line up and everything like that. And you know, if you, I know you host your own podcast, tell everybody the name of your podcast as well. Yeah. So I host the prospecting podcast. You can search any of the podcast apps. You'll see it in there, but yeah, that's, that's mine. I'm, I it's actually, called, I got to get the name of the podcast. Yeah. It's called the prospecting podcast. It's what it's oh, called. Okay. So it's, 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 I heavily try and go into like deep dives of examples of prospecting with people. Yeah. Like examples of an outbound cold deal and how you worked your way up. We do mock calls on it. Sometimes it's really fun. Uh, I actually have Richards on the books to do one with me. Um, in a couple weeks like good. at the end of the month we're recording one so it'll be fun good good cool real tactical stuff ryan O'Hara, yeah. everybody from lead iq thanks for joining us man thanks scott take it easy all right bye-bye